Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders. How's everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? You guys have a good weekend? You guys get those campaigns up and out, active? You raising that money, doing your backer updates, you know? Checking that dashboard every minute. Fun times. I'm, a, I'm kind of in a weird time right now. I currently don't have a campaign that's active, so I'm not really watching much personally. So, uh, which is, you know, that only happens once in a great while. So, all right. Well, we are kicking off another episode. Uh, on today's episode, I've got Eric Dupius, and he is from the Kickstarter campaign uh, Warmwood Gaming. And you know, I got to tell you, if you are a uh, gamer, if you like the tabletop games, I think the Dungeons and Dragons, this interview is going to be uh, right up your wheelhouse. I think you're going to really dig it. Um, you know, the, currently they had it. Well, they they had a ten thousand ten thousand dollar goal, and they're at two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So they they definitely know what they're doing in the crowdfunding. But a lot of good a lot of good stuff coming up here. Um, talking about. Uh, the gaming world and 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 how this accessory uh, fits into it. <clears throat> so, man, I I gotta tell you. So it's Sunday night when I'm recording this. Uh, I'm gonna be releasing it on Monday. That's when you'll be getting it. But I just shut the Super Bowl off. Yeah, this is my first time, and I didn't really care. Is there anybody else out there that's that's feeling this way about the NFL? Man, I didn't care. I didn't. I went grocery shopping instead. I played um, Go Fish with my son. I built some Legos. Um, I actually was going to just watch some boring TV like The Office or something, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to go record the podcast. Because not not only was the game just not very good, because I don't even know what it is. It was a blowout, but I didn't even care. What is the matter with me? This is the first time in my life. Super Bowl used to be the biggest thing, man. I would... You know, we'd, we'd go down to my parents, we'd make a lot of food, or we'd go to parties. None of that. Now, I will say, you know, we, I've got a sick daughter all weekend, too. She's got something going on with her ears, so that might be tomorrow. I might be doing some, uh, doing some uh, Mr. Mom in it tomorrow because she's sick. But I think the NFL's slipping. So, hey, Roger Goodell, I know when you listen, I know you're a regular listener to the podcast, but uh, I didn't care. I need. I I got more on my mind. I got other things to do than 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 watch some 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 football and definitely some. What was it, Lady Gaga? I don't even know. I guess it was Lady Gaga. I don't know. Is she relevant? No. Oh. So. So yeah, yeah. That's my thoughts on the NFL. But, but so I had a weird thing happen to me. So this weekend, uh, I was actually yeah, I was doing the old live sound, and I was doing it at one of the different church locations. There's three of them: Lansing, Brighton, and Ann Arbor. But I was in the Brighton location. I haven't been there in. Well, I was there last week, but I prior to that, I probably haven't been there in a year, maybe even longer. And um, but today, I had one of those days where I really felt like I was mixing really good. Like I really felt like I was in the zone, man. I was I was moving the fader. I, I don't know. I, I knew the songs. I was just in. I felt like I was in the pocket. Frankly, I really did. Uh, we finished up the uh, the last service. I felt great. Like I said, I felt great about it. Um, I just thought I was honed in. And uh, this little this old guy comes up, and and typically, you know, I get a lot of man. Sounded great. You did a great job. That's usually what I get. I'm not gonna lie. 
pretty good. I think I'm pretty good at this job. And so this guy comes up and this is the last service. So I'm, you know, I just want to get out of there too. I'm tired. And this guy's like, you the sound guy? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I do the sound. And he goes, uh, I, th- I think it sounded awful. Uh, I, I thought he was almost joking because it was so like, uh, okay. He's like, yeah, it was just all keyboards and, and, and bass reflections. Yeah. It's the worst I've ever heard. And you're not usually here. So I don't think you did a very good job. Uh, I was okay. And he goes, I appreciate you listening. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to me. And then walked away. Now, granted, this is a gigantic church with full on beautiful PA systems and, and, you know, everything is the best of the best. I know the mix is sounded fine, but why does this affect me? Seriously? That guy was just a dickhead, flat out. No offense, buts about it. And who does that anyways? You know what? Send an email. Hey, you didn't really like it. You know, I don't know. I can tell you that what he was saying was not true. But what am I going to do? Am I going to get an argument with an old guy who, di- who didn't like my mix style? I couldn't hear the vocals, even though I th- other people were saying the vocals were a little too loud. But whatever. What am I going to do? But why does that affect me? Why does that not just roll off? Why is it not just uh, okay? Sure, you know, I, I just don't have that in me. So yeah, that was my uh, that was my wonderfulness. Yeah, my wonderfulness uh, end of the day. But on top of that, man, I got a sick kid. Yeah, so I slept on the couch because she slept with my wife and keep saying her ears hurt. So I might be going back to the doctors. And I'm telling you, I can't keep doing these antibiotics on the kids. I just, you know, it's. They seem like they're on them like <laughs> every other month. So, but yeah. So I, I started taking something new. So I, I've been messing around a little bit with vitamins. So to combat the old old uh, winter and, you know, not seeing the sun, I, uh, I I went with, I got some D, I think it's D3. Yeah, I've been taking some D3. And then after that, I've been taking some K2. And by the way, I'm not giving any advice here. I'm just telling you what I'm taking. But I added in this um, B stress, I think it is. I don't know. I got it at a fresh time restaurant. And uh, I've been taking it the last two days. I don't know. It didn't work today because I've been feeling pretty stressed today. But, um, But I peed today like the brightest Mountain Dew neon yellow that you can imagine. I'm a little freaked by that. Anybody know what that might be? Anybody? Because I haven't put it in a WebMD yet because I don't want to be freaked out. I'm just going to see if it, if I'm, I'm st- I peed like that all the whole day today, but it was real bad earlier or, or, you know, a few hours ago. Man, what do you guys think that is? Any, any amateur doctors out there want to, want to take a guess? No? I know. I know, I know. So what's been new in crowdfunding, huh? Anything new out there? So I, I don't know if you guys saw, but um, uh, I've got, I've got some, 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 some new blogs going out. I've got a new webinar. We're kind of tweaking right now. We're tweaking our, um, our, our funnels. So if you go to fuzzywenzel.me, you'll see the new funnel that's built, and that will drive you into a, a new webinar that I've been working on. Um, I've been working on that for the last two or three weeks. I'm actually going to do my first test run of it on Friday. Yeah, so if you guys are out there and you want to want to jump in on that, just go to fuzzywenzel.me and sign up. And uh, I'm going to be doing a crowdfunding webinar. 
So I'd love to have you guys check it out. I know it's going to be a little rocky. It's the first one. I think it's going to be about 45 minutes to an hour long. I think it's going to be all right, though. I'm pretty happy with the slide work. I'm doing a, a demo of it with the team tomorrow. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's been the big, big work around here is getting this webinar. I, I want to get into that world a little bit more. I want to get into a, a little more um, handholding uh, for the sales and the learning and, and driving some people into that, that channel because I think it's, it's going to be a pretty powerful one too. So yeah, my other thing I got going on tomorrow is uh, I'm going to go see a financial planner. And I, you know, I, my gut tells me that it's going to be a bit of a joke because we have no money and I know they're going to just tell me if you make more money, but I do feel slightly depressed right now. I just kind of going through all these, this questionnaire, let me see, I got it. I got it actually right here. So like I was looking at the questionnaire, it's like, um, uh, you know, bring a list of other financial viable assets not mentioned above. It's like, um, uh, um, uh, my 2006 Cyan XB, I don't know, with 300,000 miles. Anybody? Anybody? Um, my pension or retirement plans. Oh, I don't have that. Um, let's see what else here. Uh, my, my employee benefits or my stock options or maybe some of my deferred compensation plans. Oh, I, I don't think I have any of those being self-employed. So I don't have a lot to bring. So I'm going to be bringing my checking account, my savings account. But one thing I do do, do use, I should say, is, um, is an app called Acorns. And that funnels my spare change from my all my transactions goes to that. And I put a little bit of money in there. That's where our Christmas gifts came from this year. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's me doing some, some big time saving. So I'm going to have that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to see how that goes. But, um, so yeah. All right. Well, I hope everybody had a good weekend. And I'm glad to be back and uh, kicking off uh, a, a new episode. And, uh, man, I love when I get to talk to these campaigns that are just you know, just crushing goals. And, and what's intriguing on the camp on the conversation coming up here with Eric is, um, is this is, I think their sixth campaign there. I, I really love how they're using Kickstarter as a, you know, a, almost as a marketing slat. You know, I wouldn't say a, a complete marketing vehicle, but they are using it in a way that, 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 you know, will take a full year of sales and, you know, compact it into 30 days and they've got a ton of success and Eric had a ton of great advice. So, um, let's go ahead and kick my conversation right now with Eric and, uh, yeah, here we go. All right, Eric, the record light is on. The pressure's on. You got to give the best podcast interview of all time right now. You ready? Born ready. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Eric, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about your very successful Kickstarter campaign that you have uh, running right now? So we're no stranger to Kickstarter. That's actually kind of how Wormwood was born, uh, was the original Dice Vault. Uh, that's actually before I was uh, involved with the company. Uh, I had met okay. Doug and Ed. Uh, at a magic tournament that I was running, and they had uh, an Etsy shop, uh, and Kickstarter is really what turned it from a, a hobby uh, into a full-blown business. Um, you know, once that demand was there, uh, you know, I, I saw a lot of potential. I, I teamed up, and we've we've grown it from there. Um, it's it's really about testing to see what people are looking for. You know, before we put in just uh, the amazing amount of energy that infrastructure requires to produce this artisan quality stuff. You know, at a pace where people are getting it in a timely fashion, because there are a lot of artisans mm -hmm. that can get it out there, you know, six months to a year from now. But we're turning over, you know, just amazing stuff in, in a week or two 
uh, that, that's that's ordinary business for us. So yeah, we we went to Kickstarter to gauge the demand, and it's a good thing we did because it blew up. <laughs> I mean, we're we're at almost a quarter of a million now, and uh, you know we're, we've scheduled it so we're going to be able to meet expectations, and uh, it's really exciting. The response has just been absolutely amazing. That, that's awesome. So so for this campaign, what is it that you're actually raising money for? Uh, so with a project like this, we need to bring on additional craftsmen. We need to jig everything up. We need to source the wood at the best possible price, uh, you know, to be able to offer, I mean, even acrylic, uh, you know, that's, if we just buy that retail, you could pay as much as, uh, you know, 10 to $14 per sheet. And each panel has two sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that starts at a $50 piece. So when, when we go to source that now, you know, we're going to have thousands of panels that need acrylic. So we're going to be able to then actually sit down and negotiate and be able to, you know, kind of deliver this at the point where we really want to, instead of, you know, having each panel be a hundred dollars a piece, um, which gotcha. is, you know, kind of what it would be if it was just a custom shop order and somebody came in, uh, you know, with something totally unique, you know, that that's a one of a kind, uh, you know, when, when you're looking at this, you know, we're going to be able to make these in the most efficient way possible. And we're going to be able to take our craftsmen and really have them focus on each, you know, individual aspect. I mean, there's a lot of components to this system. We've got the screens, the rotational screens, or panels, I should say, rotational panels, the tower, the chest of holding, the initiative tracker. People are going to really be able to hone in and and sharpen their skills and get really good at each individual facet. Uh, And that's only possible when you have, you know, kind of an idea of what's what's coming up. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. So for my listeners who might be driving or, or listening to this on a train, kind of talk to me about, you know, who's using this product and how it's used and how it enhances game night. The way I've been kind of processing this as it's evolved, uh, it takes a DM screen as a traditionally, uh, you know, a, a tool that's just meant to hide and to kind of have some information for you, the DM, and it's transformed it into a way of revealing information to the players and as a, really being a storytelling device. So you're taking that rotational panel, uh, which we feature in, in all of our, our images there, mm-hmm. and you're able to just reveal a new character, new setting, whatever it is that's going to take your story to the next point to the players in dramatic fashion all at once and you know just have a real gravitas to it where they just it just makes that impact to everybody and you know the the two-way tower is the same thing you know when you hear that click of the bottom baffle switching from the private role to the public role you know your characters you know their their life could be on the line like that role is sure. not going to be fudged they're going to roll mm-hmm. and whatever happens happens there's no oh you know we're not going to you know just for for story whatever reason the dm could come up with in his head to uh, kind of justify you know letting your character through the encounter that's out the window Right. Uh, it really does just take that to the next level. So that that was our our goal. We sat down. We wanted to build the best DM screen possible. We wanted something that would be totally modular. So any table, any game, you could pick and choose how many panels, how many different components are best for your story. Uh, but that was kind of what emerged from it is the ability to just use it as a storytelling device, being able to switch the art on the fly to be able to introduce new characters or anything like that. Um, you know, really has transformed, at least in our group. And I think it's going to do that for everyone. I think once they actually get that on their table, I think the DM is going to be empowered to just really take the storytelling to a, a place that we didn't even think was possible. 
That's cool. Is there a specific game that this should that, that you should use your screens with, or can you use this with all kinds of different games? You know, really any role playing system. Uh, I mean, because of the modular nature, uh, you can go really simple with just a couple of panels for some of the more story based systems. If it's really combat heavy, you know, we have the initiative trackers which you can tack on so the encounters go smoothly. It really any role playing system. You can really customize this to fit that by changing out the art and by selecting the components that are just perfect for your table. That's cool. Now, do you envision maybe somebody designing a game specifically actually for the screens to, you know, to, you know, uh, kind of kind of working maybe backwards a little bit? Well, I think what we're going to see is people and we've already you know been talking uh, to different uh, game creators. I think what we're going to see is people creating art assets specifically for this. Uh, so, you know. When you look at something like the the WPN uh, or the uh, the adventurers sets for Wizards of the Coast, uh, where they work with the local game stores to kind of provide a setting for people to play Dungeons and Dragons, traditionally it's been a very text heavy packet, and there's been art to kind of help the DM get get into it. But a lot of the time, it's difficult to share that with the players. Uh, so this could literally be you know in between four and and you know however many images that are printed on eight and a half by eleven which can then be used to kind of convey the story to the players. So mm-hmm. uh, not so much an entirely new system per se, but any system that's out there, you can take a story that you want to tell and just really drive that home uh, wow. with, with art. Cause it's so much easier. You know, art is about as close to just an idea as you can get, you know what I mean? Sure. Like everybody can print. If you make it something that people can freely download, then everybody's experiencing the same thing. And I think that's what, what, in particular, Wizards of the Coast has been attempting to do with Dungeons and Dragons for a great number of years, is to have people, you know, even though they're going through the campaigns with their friends, they're kind of all hitting the same story beats. So people can sure. talk about a particular campaign setting and and have common experience, even though they didn't play together. And that's really, I, I think, an exciting thing about a, a system like D anD D to be able to make that even more consistent where people kind of are sharing the same ideas about the characters and the way that they're portrayed and that's possible with the the way that we can change out the art on these that's cool you know so this is your i think your sixth kickstarter yeah how how did this kind of evolve from those kickstarters or where was the the original idea to start to design these sort of screens so everything that we make uh generally originates from the custom workshop we have craftsmen who just handle special requests, whether it's really intricate inlays or entirely new product designs. And that's that's basically how this started is we had somebody say, you know, we our DM is is just the best. We want to thank him. He loves your craftsmanship. Can you make a DM screen? And immediately the wheels start turning about what's the best possible design that we could make and it's gone through several generations uh we Mm -hmm. did that initial commission we did a a a few more uh just in the custom shop Uh, then we went to conventions and we opened it up to pre-order and we did a whole wave of designs there that just evolved over time and uh, a few months ago uh before christmas we really started to hone in on it Uh, we made some key changes and this more than anything we've ever designed uh, because of the complexity has uh, been just an amazing team effort. I mean, every single design element on this has evolved from that original vision. Um, you know, from the way the magnets work to the way the screens are uh, designed, uh, just the, I mean, literally everything. The, the tower, the fact that 
it toggles with the bottom uh, baffle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really evolved. Um, so that's that was basically the way it went. Is we got it out there, we got it in front of our clients, we got feedback. You know, we built small batches. You know, I'm talking, you know, literally like 20 customers, and just get it out there and get the feedback. And sure. you know, when we felt like we basically when there was nothing left to remove, like we we kind of stripped everything down as much as we could, made it as simple and elegant as possible. And that bottom baffle on the tower, if, if uh, people see that, uh, basically. It's just the simplest possible way of switching in between the public and the private roles to, to go from mm-hmm. the player to the DM. And it's so elegant. And we had very complicated ways of doing that with like multiple internal tracks, uh, you know, where it would go down this side of the tower for the player. And it, it just you just keep trying to get simpler and simpler and, you know, more refined. And that's where we ended up. Uh, so as soon as as soon as we were totally thrilled with the design, we, we brought up the Kickstarter and and uh, it seems like the response has been great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the response has been great. We'll get into some numbers here in a little bit on the Kickstarter. Now, was there a major pivot point at all in any of that time, or, or at least one, you know, maybe maybe one scenario that sticks in your mind where you're like, yeah, we just had to majorly pivot. That's the only way we could we could produce these. Um, you know, it was it was really a cruise liner. I mean, you, they don't turn on a dime. You know what I mean? Like it, it just <laughs> right. slowly moved towards uh, a better and better design. Um, you know, we had. We had the principle that everything that we make has to be guaranteed for life. Um, so there were elements of the previous design that as we, as we made it, we were like, you know, I don't know that this is going to be able to, to last 50 years. Like when, once we actually made it and got it out there, we're like, you know, we're going to – and that's why the guarantee is there. We'll right, see. Right. The, the iteration that we have now, I mean – I'm confident it could be used as a as a melee weapon. I mean, you could actually like <laughs> bludgeon somebody with this, and it's going to hold up great. That is, don't cut this part out. You should not do that. <laughs> don't don't you dare cut out the disclaimer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it is really, really solid with the current design, um, and that to me, uh, that was one of the things that I I pushed for. So of course, in my mind, um, you know, that's big. But there were everyone involved had. If you asked us all that, we'd probably all have a different question. Um, you know. Uh, you know, Ed came up with that pivoting baffle. Uh, John Savage is our DM. He came up with a chest of drawers uh, where, uh, sorry, the chest of holding where each individual drawer is actually its own miniature D, uh, dice tray. So, mm. I mean, it was just constant innovation. It was really, it was an awesome project. And, and now that we have a, a team, uh, you know, of, of well over 20 people now, you know, that's the type of benefits that we start to get is just so many people who are passionate about what we're doing, who care deeply about the craftsmanship and what it means to have that craftsman's promise, that lifetime guarantee, uh, to know that that it's their promise. You know, they just feel invested in the product. So when they see a way of making it better, they, they feel empowered to speak up and it just keeps getting better and better. So, so let's talk a little bit about th- that sort of mindset that you guys have behind the company. You know, how hard is it to actually build a company like you're describing in terms of caring and wanting a product to last forever and, and, and not just going the, you know, the quick China route and Hey, you know, it's 30 bucks. Yeah. Destroyed after two years. Like, like how do you uh, uh, sustain those values and still run a good company in the culture of today? No, it's, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, I I think you kind of have to go back into the the history of the company and, and how we came together um, you know, Doug and Ian uh, Costello are, are great craftsmen. Uh, Ian is our lead craftsman. Doug, our lead designer. Uh, they're brothers. And they, their roots uh, in woodworking uh, comes from uh, furniture, 
Mm. So with the idea of, of historical designs that were made to last for centuries. Right, you know, right. In the colonial era, if you were taking time off to build a table, that was not something that was going to last a few seasons. You were going to throw it away. You were neglecting your crops. There were other things. I mean, that was time, right, right. Was, time was money. People, the, the idea of taking vacations was, was not, not really there yet. Uh, and that's the work ethic and the, the perspective that they have, that everything that they did, all the woodworking techniques are selected for that mentality. Uh, I came to it as a carpenter uh, and, and from the business side as well. Um, so I have my own, you know, perspectives on that. Again, you know, if I build something in my own house, I mean, I can park my car on it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of overlap there, to to be fair. Um, but in general, their aesthetic is is able to do kind of, you know, my mentality, but make it absolutely beautiful. Um, so their their techniques are more refined, and they're they're some of the greatest craftsmen I've ever worked with. Um, so the idea is for them to be training apprentices with that same mindset and to let them know that this craftsmanship hasn't gone away. We're carrying that mm-hmm. tradition. Um, and, and the same with our customer service. Uh, you know, it's everyone in the company, uh, you know, kind of has that passion. You know, from a customer service perspective, we want people to, to understand it is a lifetime guarantee, unconditional. When people order things, we are trying to constantly – just change the way people think about how a company treats you. You know, yeah. we've had we've actually had now three people whose dice vaults have been eaten by a dog, and we've just replaced them, <laughs> which is madness. Like lawyers would say, "Well, you can't, you yeah. can't do that." People are right, genuine. Right. People are good. People in general are just they're good people, and mm-hmm. they're not going to be feeding it to their dog just to spite us. Like right. the, the person's disappointed. And we give them a new one, and like that makes their day, and they're 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 on board. You know what I mean? Like they see that we actually care about them. It's not like oh well, you know, you can just buy another one. It's like no, here you go. You already did your job. You already supported right. us as artists. So thank you, and you know, please don't let it happen again. <laughs> but if it does, we'll still take care of you. You know what I mean? Right. And that'll right, that'll right. you know, next time I'm asked on a podcast, it'll be even funnier. That's um, cool. But yeah, that's that's the thing is we just try and not be restricted by what people think of as normal. Or kind of the the regular way to do business, we just want to shatter that. We want to bring back craftsmanship that people thought was long gone. We want to have a level of of uh, customer experience that they didn't even think was possible. You know what I mean? And we want to solve yeah. like with the DM screen. You know, people didn't even realize uh, that the DM screen was limited in its capacity until we come along with this this new technique of sharing information with the players. Uh, so we just want to change the way people game and and do it for life. That's great. So let's talk a little bit about your background a little bit. We, you talk, told me about you being a carpenter in the business, but but where did you grow up? I was uh, I was pretty fortunate. Uh, I grew up uh, on a country club for a while, um, so in Millis, uh, Massachusetts, uh, and my father was the the grounds manager there. So there were a lot of projects that I was able to work with him hands on, uh, from woodworking to metalworking. Um, and then after that, uh, after probably six years uh, after high school. Uh, I decided to to get into just specialty retail. I always knew I wanted to be a merchant and an entrepreneur. I love, you know, kind of providing uh, just a, a mutually beneficial transaction where you're you're getting something to somebody that they really love um, and finding interesting stuff. So I, I caught the wave of uh, yo-yos, uh, Pokemon, uh, and then Magic the Gathering uh, were kind of my uh, big three uh, steps after high school and, and kind of growing my experience in the the gaming industry. Uh, and then after a while, that kind of fell apart. Um, financially, my family's other businesses uh, completely 
self-destructed, and I ended up working as a union carpenter for uh, close to a decade, uh, on and off. Um, one of the only great things about that is it would give me time uh, to get back into the gaming industry for months at a time, uh, especially with Magic the Gathering. Uh, but that's where I, I really honed the, uh, the the carpentry side of things, uh, which honestly is has been probably... It's rather minor in comparison because uh, Doug and Ian really do have, uh, you know, the, the woodworking side of things nailed down. Uh, I mean, my right. focus has really been, you know, the website and the, you know, the business relationships, you know, growing things with legendary entertainment, with the guys with critical role, um, all of that. So that that was kind of my uh, my main goal with the business was to, to grow it beyond just because you can have a group of woodworkers who just kind of work in obscurity. And mm-hmm. maybe they can make a living, uh, you know, but our goal is to grow a company, you know, that can take people with no woodworking experience, train them, give them a skill that's valuable for life, introduce them to the passion of woodworking and, you know, continue to grow that wage, uh, which has been a, a core focus for us is to be able to, to continually take better and better care of our employees. Um, and, and that's, that's the goal is to grow something that's, you know, going to make a permanent mark on the gaming industry. Yeah. So, so growing up, where was that, or who was that? I should say that that mentor that kind of put this mindset in taking care of your workers, being an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, who 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 do you think instilled that in you, or, or where do you think you picked that up? You know, when you're working alongside people in the carpenters' union, um, it is it is potentially a matter of life and death every day, um, and the safety regulations are, are obviously there, um, but it's it's the people that you're working with that have to follow them. You know what I mean? Like if, if people yeah. are not on board, that's a very dangerous thing. So in the Carpenters Union, there's a, a very strong feeling, um, you know, of brotherhood um, and taking care of each other. And, you know, when I, when I did become a foreman, uh, that that's the same, you know what I mean? Even, mm-hmm. even when you're running the work, you are still, you know, you're, you're there in the trenches on the job site with everybody. Um, and, and you know, also just from small business in general, when I was when I was running specialty retail, when I was running uh, you know a little magic shop or or yo yo stand or wh- whatever projects I was working on at the time, often often multiple projects, um, you know, you were down there with with everybody. There was no real separation, and you 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 just have to have the mentality that you're you know people are working with you, not for you. Right, uh, right, and and certainly you know that's that's made much easier uh, with the mindset of my my co owners, the the four of us, uh, Dougie and Ed and myself, uh, all all very much have that mindset. Um, you know, Doug in particular, Doug is Doug is actually fanatical about it um, to the point, <laughs> to the point where we've actually we've had a little bit of friction from uh, uh, time to time with him uh, potentially not quite seeing eye to eye, um, you know, with a, a direction we won't be coming from, but you know, it's something we always talk about and, and that's, that's always the focus is to making sure. sure that whatever we're doing, uh, it is something that is a, a long-term play that is, is made to be permanent. And you know, the only way you can do that is by you know taking care of people. Sure. So let's pivot a little bit over to the actual Kickstarter. Um, so I, I mean, you kind of mentioned it before. I mean, you're almost, you're closing the 250 K here on a $10,000 goal. So you have you know, I don't even know what the math is on that, but you've squashed that goal yeah. uh, big time here. I think it's also intriguing that you have over 750 backers, which that's a that's a lot of backers. Um, you know, so what was the you know what was the general strategy before you launched this campaign? And then you know maybe a follow up question to that would be you know what's been different between this one and the other five campaigns? 
you know, this campaign shares a lot uh, with the Magnetic Dice Tower. Uh, that was a campaign from a couple of years ago. It was also focused on D&D players. Uh, the last couple of campaigns that we've run have been uh, trying to, you know, share the, uh, spread the love a little bit. We had a campaign for War Machine and Hordes, which is a, a miniatures, tab- like a tabletop war game. Uh, and then we did a campaign for the Sentinel, which was a deck boxer, mostly Magic the Gathering players. That's the majority mm-hmm. of the collectible card games. So coming back to the D&D players, which is really our core group, uh, we were we had high hopes. Uh, we, we had really hoped that it would be well-received, and, and the pre-orders kind of indicated that as well when we did those initial um, you know, alpha rounds. Um, so yeah, we, we basically, you know, just kind of swung for the fences and tried to give them the best thing we possibly could. So, so I think too, you're, I think you're my first conversation out of 70 or so to kind of almost grow your business with Kickstarter in terms of rolling out, you know, I wouldn't say features, but just rolling out pieces of this. And it seems like this is like, you kind of put all of it together. You know, was that an, an overall strategy that you had you know, five years ago, six years ago, whatever, to use Kickstarter to really grow this? Yeah, I mean, that that is a, a really powerful part of Kickstarter is the ability to engage with the community, uh, to put videos out, to ask questions directly of the backers. And it's important to us that we're making things that people love. And if there's a way we can mm-hmm. make a product better, we, we want to make it better. Um, so yeah, that, that's absolutely uh, important to us to be able to actually you know, get it out there, engage demand, you know, to be able to make sure, because when we put something on the website, we want to be able to deliver it within two weeks. Like that's, gotcha. that's our, that's our goal now. This, by the end of the year, I would love to have built up enough of an inventory where we can actually get that down to, you know, a few days, maybe, maybe even a two day turnaround, depending on how, how big we can make the inventory. Um, but that's, that's only going to be possible. You know, Kickstarter lets us gauge that demand and then set the expectations because the first ones are going to be delivered in july mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there's no way that we could deliver this in two weeks because we still haven't jigged everything up and part of that is of course the the tremendous cost of getting all the jigs and everything set absolutely perfect doing a small run really auditing that and making sure that everything functions flawlessly um but but also the fact that it could evolve during the campaign somebody could just come up with an amazing idea um, you know, in case in point, the the first campaign we ever did, the Dice Vault, we did a complete product redesign right in the middle of the campaign. Wow. So there was just like, oh, this is actually a better way to build this product. And it, and it right. just, it came out so much better. Um, so yeah, we we don't feel like we have all the answers. We feel like we want to be able to move forward and just do things and hopefully have the wisdom to kind of pick the better options as they emerge. So, uh- now, is there, or do you guys envision or talk about this at all, that there might be a cap in your world where you might, like, like you might have to shut the campaign off because you just know you can't meet the standard quality because you've got to deliver, you know, you will, you'll be delivering them in 20, you know, end of 2018 to, to, to keep up. Is there any sort of thought around that at all? I don't believe that could possibly be the case given that yeah. we built the infrastructure to be able to continue to train new apprentices. Mm. Right, to be right, able to right. pivot, uh, you know, we we had uh, a great holiday season, and you know, sales have been phenomenal on on warmwoodgaming.com. So we've been able to keep on uh, a great amount of the help that we, you know, kind of brought on just for the holidays. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, yeah. And and now they are you know full time members of the of Team Wormwood. So I, I don't really see that as a as a real possibility. I, I think we've given ourselves enough time. I think we can continue to pivot. Towards uh, you know bigger and bigger goals, and honestly, if this 
it's trending towards perhaps, you know, half a million dollar Kickstarter. Who knows um, Mm -hmm. how it'll go. Um, But, you know, if this ended up being a million or two million dollar Kickstarter, we could we could literally continue to meet the demand. And and that's because of the way we have the tiers as well. You know, we've set the tiers up where every month we add additional backers where it's like now now here's a new group of, you know, three, four, five, six hundred backers. And, you know, it could possibly reach a point where we couldn't deliver all of them in time for this Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of just shutting off the, uh, you know, shutting off the, uh, the, the Kickstarter, I, I don't see any possibility of that. There's, there's no risk of that. So inside of your, of the, of the business plan, how much does Kickstarter account for, you know, just, uh, you know, sales and all this stuff outside of just the website and just, you know, like I said, Christmas sales from last year, like, like how much does that all play together where, where Kickstarter is a, how big of a foundation is it basically? Well, it's generally just for product launches um, yeah. or if we're trying to do something that's really unique uh, and we have no idea what the demand's going to be. Uh, Percentage-wise, it varies wildly from year to year. I'd say there isn't even really a trend uh, that you yeah. can follow. Um, you know, Well over half of our sales is at wormwoodgaming.com. Then we have conventions. Uh, we have uh, kind of smaller, um, I don't want to call it wholesale arrangements, but we do partner up with people all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. We certainly we work in other people's Kickstarters, like we did with TAC. Um, you know, we raised about four hundred thousand dollars last year for uh, Pat Rothfuss and James Ernest's uh, just phenomenal abstract board uh, board game called TAC. Um, and you know, obviously, we you know that that was a, a sizable percentage of our our revenue sure. for last year. It certainly makes a difference when you sell four hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars worth of product, even when you're partnered up. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's 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 certainly. With a project like this, you know, I would expect this to to be a pretty big chunk of our sales at the end of the year. Yeah, and, and was it? You know, let's maybe flip a little bit back over to just the actual campaign itself. Was there any major marketing strategy that you guys you know used for for this campaign? You know, any sort of pay per clicks or you know Facebook sure. ads, whatever it might be. Yeah, we. My main focus, uh, kind of the thing that you can't buy. Is is kind of the goodwill that we've we've been building um, by teaming up with with different people, with supporting the charities that they love, just by being engaged in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, guys like Penny Arcade, um, you know, the, the guys at Critical Role, uh, all of these different people who are or uh, you know, Geek Dad. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. Sorry for everyone that I forget <laughs> uh, here here on the spot, but you know, the fact that they're getting it out there and helping to spread the word, um, you know, that is. That is something that you can't buy. You know what I mean? Right. Like when somebody genuinely cares about what you're doing, believes in your mission of, of putting out things that are made to last a lifetime, and, and the idea that gaming is something, you know, you pass gaming on to your your next generation. You can literally pass on these gaming accessories too, and to have people really believe in that, um, you know, when when they give you a shout out, it's genuine, and people respond to that. Uh, so that's kind of the biggest piece. Um, and then in our general advertising, uh, it's primarily Facebook. We've tried a lot of different avenues. Uh, Facebook does allow us to really reach out to the community, you know, specifically, uh, you know, targeting people who, who are going to be happy to see our ads uh, and are going to just genuinely be curious and want to see, you know, what, what we have to offer. And that that's, I find in terms of ROI to, to kind of, pivot more toward the business side of things. Uh, I, I feel like it's not close. Um, you know, Google AdSense, um, you know, the, the whole platform, uh, with the display images and everything, 
I, I don't think it comes close. Um, you know, people live on Facebook. People visit sites. You know what I mean? Like people will go and visit and, and it'll be a nice little vacation uh, to go to their favorite site to kind of check up on news or, or whatever. But people literally live on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's just a good place to reach them. And, and were you doing uh, uh, sponsored ads or just kind of trying to go by, with organic reach? We do both. Uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, we've got one made ad running right now. I, I ran several and then, um, is this, are we getting too deep into the weeds? I'm not sure how. Oh, no, 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 no. All good. It's all good. Okay. So uh, we ran several ads. Uh, then we go through and we check and see how the actual cost per click is to the, the Kickstarter. Um, it's, it's all, you got to make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Uh, in particular, like carousel ads have really high engagement. Because there's like six images. So right, right. on Facebook, there's two metrics. As they're, When you look at the first one, which is kind of what everybody would be expecting, they'd be like, oh, this carousel ad's performing really well. You just got to go one step deeper and actually take a look at the click-through to your site. Um, because people do interact with carousels. They click around, they look at it. But what really matters is getting people to the Kickstarter page. Right. Um, and so far, uh, we've just kind of threw out a bunch of ads, narrowed down to the most successful uh, that one is getting a pump right now, and then we're going to be launching a new carousel next week, uh, and we're going to pause the current campaign and then compare the two, and then that'll be the one that we really gas for the the home stretch. Um, I will say most of our success so far has been organic on this campaign, which is, mm, you know, in the past, awesome. we've spent a decent amount of money on those first days trying to get the word out, and mm. this one was so... Uh, pushed like we really, really pushed to get it out before Pack South. Um, that we didn't even have assets together to create okay. ads. Okay. So like that first day was um, pretty much entirely just like organic word of mouth and like our mailing list and our Facebook friends. You know what I mean? So right, yeah, is is pretty crazy. I mean, a lot of the times campaigns will spend you know five ten thousand dollars on that first day trying to just get that traction to get on the front page um, and yep. and hopefully ride that wave, but. Yeah, it didn't work out that way this time. <laughs> we kinda, <laughs> That's good. It just kind of worked really well. Um, but yeah, we're we're starting to push more now um, because we we definitely we definitely want this one to be our our biggest campaign yet, and it's it's headed that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and do you feel that you're getting a lot of backers from the previous campaigns, just kind of coming to the next product? Is is that what you're seeing? You think on the back end? You know, I actually haven't checked that uh, historically. There's been, a, I mean, there are a lot of repeat backers. There are, it's not as high a percentage as I would necessarily think. Hmm, okay. Uh, I would kind of imagine, like, because on our website, we have a tremendous amount of repeat customers. I think some people do get burnt out of Kickstarter, um, mm-hmm. which is what I would kind of uh, attribute it to. Um, you know, people just kind of get burnt by a bunch of uh, campaigns that either don't deliver or take forever. And if they're not on there, um, you know, they, they could easily miss a campaign. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Um, and it's, it's right. a very short window. It's only 30 days. Um, but I would be very surprised. Uh, you know, anybody who really loves Dungeons & Dragons, you know, there's a very good chance this is going to end up, uh, you know, on their table in the future. It's, it's something where everybody can team up together. Um, and, and I'm not actually sure how that will work on Kickstarter versus our site um, mm-hmm. in terms of people backing it as a group. Uh, ah, because really, you, know, you, yeah. you, you want this, uh, you know, for your DM. Um, and there's, there's a little bit of a, to really pivot here. Uh, I've been hearing more and more about just this emerging professional DM class or, you know, semi-professional DM class. Um, it's really, it's really surprising. I, 
I guess surprising isn't the right word. It's really great to finally see. Um, it's kind of like when you think of a DJ, how like right. people like pay for a DJ, or you could just like have an iPod playing in the background. <laughs> yep. And like people are just pivoting, and they're like, yeah, you know what? If we just like all kick in like ten bucks, then right. you know Jim here can take a bunch of time and make like a really awesome campaign, and he can be compensated for it. Um, so I've been hearing a lot about that lately. Uh, you know, people kind of moving towards just that next level. So I think the timing is great on this. And there's more people come up to me now uh, and, and talk about how they, you know, this is the first time that they've ever played D&D this year. Uh, you know, they're in their first campaign and they've just, they absolutely love it. Um, so I feel like D&D is finally really growing. I think 5th edition uh, is, is just a tremendous recovery uh, from some of the missteps in the past. Um, you know, this is, this is kind of the D&D, like playing as a second, uh, in second edition, um, this this fits the sales pitch of second edition. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I was a munchkin right. back then. I was only 14. Uh, <laughs> and it was mostly about character generation and just smashing monsters um, and, and very little role-playing. Uh, I would basically say no role-playing, to be fair. Um, but yeah, now it, it fits that, that whole pitch of, of really immersing in a fantasy world and everything being possible. Um, and I think they do a great job. So I'm happy to see 5th Edition has made that pivot. And of course, you know, there are tons of other great systems out there too. As a whole, the entire role-playing industry has, has been growing. And yeah. uh, I think things like Critical Role, uh, the guys over at Loading Ready Run, uh, I mean, there's, there's just this emerging like Twitch culture uh, where people are watching other people playing D&D and just feeling empowered to go out and do it themselves. You know, they're, they're learning about the game. It's, it becomes less and less foreign. Uh, and then eventually they hook up with somebody who's, you know, DM'd before and they, they jump in with both feet and they, they never turn back. Nice, nice. Uh, so what does scale look like for your company? Uh, in what sense? In sense of a business, you know, like, like how do you scale this up to being even bigger than what it is right now? I mean, what do you guys envision that looks like? So in terms of growing our sales uh, and, and growing the, the production, those those are very different things being a manufacturer. Um, it's difficult when you look at most businesses, you know, they're, they're basically able to get as much of a product as they want, largely because they're importing it or they're outsourcing it. Uh, for us, it is very important that we, we take the time and train our craftsmen, you know, and, and get apprentices who, who are able to make the product to the standards that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of sales, that that's tied indirectly. Like we don't have a f- official wholesale program because we are still trying to meet that demand in a timely fashion with our site and growing the inventory. Um, so that's that's basically we are in a phase of of bringing on craftsmen, balancing you know a, a tremendous payroll with monthly sales, and then kind of the ups and downs of Kickstarter's. Uh, you know, it's a very uneven uh, you know revenue stream uh, when you're taking you know potentially what would have been six months worth of sales and compressing it into a month. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, there's, there's some real challenges there. I think basically we have to take a number where we think we're going to land and then we have to reach, you know, on a weekly basis, the, the amount of production that will reach there. Um, and, and that does involve, uh, you know, running a heavy payroll and, you know, kind of growing the inventory and having faith that the community is going to continue to support us. So, yeah, it's, you, you kind of have to be kind of crazy to run a business. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I, I do hear that. So, I mean, maybe maybe a, you might have answered a little bit of this, but, but where do you see these products going in the next five years? Or maybe even just where do you see gaming in the next five years? You know, 
predictions are are generally just fun for looking back and seeing how wrong sure, you were. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so with that said, um, you know, it seems to me that people are getting, that there's more video games being played than ever. There's more games uh, being played than ever. People, uh, you know, th- there's a, a sense of, you know, your time where you're, you know, not working to be able to, to spend it with other people uh, in, in a way that, you know, is a little bit more organized. Um, and I think that's great. I think that that is very much the trend with tabletop. Um, I think that we are seeing, you know, some kind of interesting trends there, like with professional DMs, uh, you know, with with very specialized role-playing systems that people can really identify with. That. I mean, you go back, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, you know, you get like D&D and White Wolf and like a bunch of systems people aren't really that familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now it's, it's getting to the point where you can get really narrow. I mean, people are releasing modules, uh, you know, for their specific, you know, Twitch universe that they've created. Uh, so you can actually play in the same universe as your favorite show that you're watching every week on mm-hmm. Twitch. Um, so yeah, it's, it's getting really granular. People are able to have the experience that they want. Um, and, and in terms of the size of it, I mean, I can't even guess, you know, people like we could see, you know, cultural shifts, like who knows, like right now, Americans watch a lot of television. Right. Yep. But if you go to Japan, they play a lot of card games and you go to Europe and they play a lot of board games and who knows how that fractures. Um, all I know is, is worldwide. And certainly in the U S we are seeing a, a real renaissance of board games. Uh, where we're seeing the stigma of games like Dungeons and Dragons completely turned on its head. Uh, you know, where before it was something that was uh, something people were ashamed of or bullied over uh, to now kind of a decrease in bullying and mm-hmm. just a general acceptance of, of you know, people's hobbies. Um, so, yeah, who, who knows? I mean, there are a lot of people working very hard, like the guys at Critical Role. Um, you, you have shows like Stranger Things, you know, opening on a die roll um, with the guys playing D&D, which if... The, I wonder how that show would have turned out if they had one of our, our tabletop trays. <laughs> I, I don't know. That might have changed things. Uh, but yeah, and it really, it, it's becoming mainstream culture. Um, and it's big enough that the people who really want it to want to be counterculture, because there's going to be a lot of them. There's going to be a lot of people who feel threatened with the fact that the thing they love, it's like your favorite band being discovered <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, by, by your, you know, your you know, pop station or whatever. Um, but it's still going to let people really get granular enough and like dig down into you know obscure territory where they can still feel uh that it's their own and they can they can have it be totally custom so as long as everybody i mean as long as people recognize that like it doesn't take anything away from you playing D uh just because you know it's something that you know all of a sudden maybe your boss knows what it is <laughs> right or they they had heard of it and they they just had no idea um you know maybe your boss plays now and that's okay you know, and, right. and maybe that gives you some more common ground. So, so let's wrap this one. We'll wrap this up with one last question. So, if you were stuck on a desert island, what would be the one board game you'd bring to play? Oh, one board game? Like how many people? Like that's that's everything. Uh, it's just that's, you. How about it's just, just you? Me. Oh, just me? <laughs> oh, yeah. A single board game by myself. I can't even think of anything I'd really like to play by myself that much. Maybe like Talk Talk Woodman or something. Okay. I don't know. Maybe something with a radio in it. I can't think of anything. <laughs> radio. That would be good. All yeah, right, for, for single player games, that's that's a tough one. Yeah. Tough you know, one Magic now. the Gathering. There you go. I would I would get a Magic the Gathering deck. That would be very expensive. So when I finally get off the island, you know, that would motivate me. I'd keep like 
those cards in mint condition. So when I get <laughs> off, I'd have a nice nest egg. How's that? That sounds perfect. Perfect. Well, Eric, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to, to chat about your about the Kickstarter, uh, sharing some of your stories and your advice. Uh, really great project, and I encourage all my listeners to go out and check it out. And uh, I think there, I think I think you got a great product here. It's awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you. All right, how about that conversation with Eric, man? He had a lot of great stuff to talk about. I love their t- attention to detail. I love how they're they're um, really focused on quality. Uh, I, I love this idea of, of of making a product that lasts. You know, I think that's something that uh, we are, you know, starting to get back to. It feels like uh, I know a lot in these conversations that I have here uh, on the podcast of, of people talking about, you know, caring, literally just caring. You know, something happens to it, they'll get you a new one. You know, whatever it is. So. A lot of good stuff. I think there's some good stuff there to, to for people to think about uh, when you're starting a business. So, uh, so the song we're listening to right now is a song, again, another old one. They're all going to be old ones. I haven't wrote in a long time, but the song is called Shine. Uh, it was on an album called The Ray Stable Story. And uh, yeah, so uh, all right. I'll talk to you guys all on Thursday. Uh, I hope you guys have a, 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 have a good couple of days. Of life, watch me fly. Catch my breath, cause my lungs are working right. I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling Yeah.